mark this one down in the church yearbook or whatever. This is a new experience for us. <laughs> but um, I'm going to wear a mask in solidarity with the rest of you, okay? So if I can preach with one on, you guys can sit there and listen. We're going to do our part. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. with a heavy heart that I ask you to do that because as we turn to chapter 13 we're going to be returning to the sins of chapter 11 as much as we would like to pretend that the events involving David involving David and Bathsheba were isolated and rare The fact that we find David's own son, Amnon, committing the very same atrocity, this time against his own sister, resonates with a 2015 study which found that one in five women report having either experienced an assault of this kind or having nearly been assaulted. I'm going to try my best this morning, even though we all know what act is being described here, and it's very graphic. I'm going to try to refrain as much as possible from using the R word this morning. Although there really is no other word in the English language that best describes what's taking place here in chapter 13. And the reason I'm doing that is twofold in a group this size. I would assume that someone here has experienced something that this story is going to trigger. And we also have children with us, and we want to be understanding of that. However, we do have a conviction that we need to preach the whole counsel of God, and as easy as it would be, um, if I weren't preaching two books of the Bible to just skip these kinds of chapters, we want to enter into this passage with conviction, but also sensitivity toward anyone who might have experienced or have family experience that touches on this. So I would ask you please pray for one another. We don't know what everyone in here has experienced. And pray for me to be gracious with my words. If you found 2 Samuel 13, let's stand together. Verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was tormented, so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed, 
and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, who you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. Being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister, for he is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard about all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. You may be seated. Second Samuel chapter 13 introduces us to David's children. The chapter begins, Now Absalom, David's son. Which is a strange way to frame this story, considering that Absalom is not an actor in this section of the chapter at all. This is really about David's two other children, Tamar and Amnon. However, the narrator, the storyteller here in 2 Samuel, does not want us to see this event as isolated from everything that's about to take place in the kingdom of David. This is Absalom's origin story, if you want to speak of it that way. 
This is the pivot point in 2 Samuel, the introduction of the character David's son, Absalom, whose own actions are going to propel the narrative forward. His name stands at the beginning of the story, and did you notice he reappears at the end, verse 22. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Absalom is living in a world shaped by his father David's sin, and we will see warped by his father David's injustice. As we read, David was very angry, but David did nothing. This is a recipe for revolution. We will see that is coming sooner rather than later. Did you feel how familiar everything was as the chapter began to unfold? Here we find not David, but Amnon lying upon his bed, morning after morning. Longing, desiring a forbidden woman, much like his father David in chapter 11. Amnon sends a messenger to go and summon her to him. In fact, the messenger is David. And with horror, Amnon repeats the sin of his father, David. And unfortunately, this is not the first time a woman named Tamar has been abused by Amnon's family. One of Amnon's great-great-grandfathers, in fact, the patriarch of the tribe, way, way, way back when in Genesis abused a woman by the name of Tamar. Here we have it, a sin that stretches from Amnon back through David all the way back to their forefather, Judah himself. So before we examine any of the details of this story, it begs the question, are we doomed to repeat the sins of our fathers? Second Samuel 13 falls like the second blow in a one-two punch combination. You read David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 and you say to yourself, I would never do that. And then two chapters later, 2 Samuel 13 comes along and says, yes, you would, and you would be even worse. Think for a moment about the worst sins in your family tree. Sins of your father, grandfather. Are you doomed to repeat those? This morning's story confronts our American modern ideal of progressivism, which is the idea that things just improve as time passes. People get better. Situations improve because we're living in the 21st century. But this morning we see sons are not automatically more virtuous than their fathers. We are not less sinful and wicked than the ones who came before us in the 20th or the 19th or the 18th century. 
simply because we live after them. Progress is not inevitable. Sin is. What you read in the history books isn't the past. It's your DNA. And you and I can tear down all the statues of our forefathers that we want. Making a declaration to the world, I'm not like them. I'm better than them. But it won't do anything about the sin that you have committed. Who are you? Are you doomed to repeat the sins of your fathers? As that question looms large over this narrative, two voices speaking in contradiction to one another arise from the text. And honestly, the answer to the question, are you doomed to repeat, is answered by which voice you choose to listen to. One voice rises out of the story, and it is cool, crafty, calm, and collected. Another voice arises with sharp crying, pleading, and begging. And the question this morning is, which of these voices will you choose to hear? The voice of the flesh or the voice of the spirit? The voice of the flesh or the voice of the spirit? Verse 2 tells us, that Amnon, David's oldest son, this is his firstborn son, was filled with illicit desire for his own half-sister, Absalom's sister, Tamar. And he was making himself so sick because he was so pining after her, but he couldn't touch her. Now, it isn't that he couldn't touch her because he was doing such a good job resisting temptation. It was just that she was quarantined off from him. They kept the virgins away from men like Amnon for the very, this very reason. But as Amnon lies despondent on his bed, in walks a friend. Verse 3. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Along comes Amnon's cousin. And the thing we're told about him is he is a very crafty man. And out of the mouth of Amnon's cousin, we hear the voice of the flesh, which proves to be crafty, cowardly, and commanding. I wonder whether this story reminds you of anything. We have a man pining after forbidden fruit, and along comes a crafty counselor to help him decide whether he ought to take hold of that fruit or not. And in his craft, Jonadab knows exactly how to wheedle his way in. Just like the serpent, he begins by asking a question. Verse 4. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? The voice of the flesh is crafty, disarming. It sounds like he's very concerned for his cousin. Expressing general, genuine concern. Why are you so sad? I can just tell you're languishing, you're shriveling up, you're not the man you ought to be. 
Tell me what's wrong. Surely the son of the king should not be deprived of anything that he needs in order to be happy. Notice how Jonadab uses euphemisms for sin as well. Amnon doesn't love Tamar, does he? We all know that. It's obvious from the way he acts towards her. Love is a euphemism for an unspeakable act that they will not say. Neither man says it out loud, and yet somehow both Amnon and Jonadab are on the same page about what activity they're talking about. And notice in his instructions in verse 6, he begins to use this other euphemism, that I may eat from her hand. It's repeated multiple times. You see, because the voice of the flesh is crafty. It hides the truth behind euphemisms. It uses soft words to smooth over the ugliness of sin. The voice of the flesh is crafty. It's also cowardly. If you think through this scenario, Amnon is completely passive this entire time up until the moment of sin. He whines to his friend. His friend comes up with a plan. He asks his dad to summon Tamar. She comes. She cooks. She comes to him. And finally, he acts. And then afterwards, he makes his servants kick her out and bolt the door behind her. Verse 14 says, because Amnon was stronger than Tamar, which I think we're meant to take as ironic because the voice of the flesh has led Amnon down a path of cowardice, not strength. He's completely passive. He's not a strong, take-charge man. He's taking his cues from Jonadab. He's doing what Jonadab says to do. Lay this way, talk this way, act this way. He enlists other people to do his dirty work. That's the way the flesh works. It's cowardly. It leaves others to get contaminated with the filth. Well, you're able to turn the screen off and walk away. The voice of the flesh is crafty. It is cowardly, but thirdly, it is ultimately commanding. Satan tells us that expressing our sexuality the way we want is where real strength lies, and you better do it. But the whole time, who's the one pulling the strings? Who's the one giving us instructions on how we ought to use our bodies and do things? We're obeying him. Look, verse, look at verse 5 again. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Now look at how Amnon acts in the very next verse. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Perfect obedience. He does what Jonadab says to do. He says what Jonadab says to say. The voice of the flesh is commanding. 
And Satan and the culture around us only serve to magnify the commands of the flesh. They tell us that our hunger is not a matter of right and wrong, but a matter of necessity. If you are hungry for this thing, you need it. Your appetite for food, your appetite for sex, your appetite for whatever is something that must be satisfied in order to be a full, complete, whole human being. Yonadab never questions the morality of Amnon's hunger, although we ought to. <laughs> if you're hungry for it, that is enough in Jonadab's mind. Appetite is enough. Obey your thirst. And Jonadab is very happy to tell Amnon exactly what he must do in order to satisfy that hunger. Whatever sexual desire or hunger you may have, it's not a matter of right or wrong in the eyes of our culture or in the eyes of that flesh that is waging war against you from inside. It's not a matter of right or wrong of whether you should or should not satisfy it, but a matter of how. The world around us seems today to be very happy to tell us how. In fact, the only sin is to deny yourself that desire. This is the voice of the flesh, crafty, cowardly, and commanding. I wonder whether you've been listening to this voice in your own life. Let me tell you, the culture is not your friend. Those who are encouraging you to follow after sexual desire in your life, whether it's friends or cousins like Amnon, whether social media personalities, parents, whoever, they are not your friends either. Verse 3 calls Jonadab a friend, but what kind of friend is Jonadab? This plan is going to ruin Amnon. It's going to ruin Tamar. It's going to ruin David. It's going to ruin the rest of the family. And you know what? At, by the end of the chapter, Jonadab will be instrumental in orchestrating the murder of Amnon for this very deed that he helped him to do. He's no friend. He's out to destroy the kingdom and to destroy you. A real friend hears that you want to lay with your sister and says, no way, and I'm going to help you not do that. It's an interesting thing with sexual desire because with almost any other sin in the world, people wouldn't stand by and champion and help you commit it. You know, if you said, I really have a desire to murder someone with an axe, I'm not going to be a whole person until I kill somebody. No one is going to stand up and champion you and help you accomplish that. I think it's possibly because we convince ourselves that sexual sin has no victims as long as it's consensual. But then again, the voice of the flesh is very crafty, isn't it? Consent is just another euphemism. I wonder whether chapter 11 we would consider to be virtuous if only it had been consensual. I wonder whether this act here in chapter 13 would have been considered nothing wrong if only it had been consensual. Except for in chapter 11, David is laying with another man's wife, and here it's a brother and sister. 
we're fooling ourselves if we think that consent somehow smooths over the way we are violating one another when we listen to the voice of the flesh. Another voice cries out from these pages, thank heavens, a voice of truth, a voice of reason, a voice of one suffering, the voice of the Spirit. And Amnon hears both voices, but he refuses to listen to one to his own detriment. The voice of the flesh on the one hand, but the voice of the Spirit. Paul tells the Galatians the voice of the Spirit is diametrically opposed to the voice of the flesh. They are opposite in every way. What the flesh is calling you to do is the opposite of what the Spirit of God is calling you to do. While the voice of the flesh is cowardly, the voice of the Spirit is convicting. While the voice of the flesh is commanding, the voice of the Spirit this morning is crying. And we hear this voice painfully in the words of Tamar. First, the voice of the Spirit is candid. So while the voice of the flesh was crafty, the Spirit speaks with absolute and utter candor. It speaks the truth. Amnon can't even bring himself to call Tamar his sister. Did you notice that at the beginning? The, the way he spoke around the truth. He said, my brother Absalom's sister. He wasn't willing to call her his own sister. Finally, it bursts out of him in that moment of illicit desire. Come lie with me, my sister. But in verse 12, Tamar holds up a mirror and she screams it back to him. No, my brother. Can't you see the truth of what you are about to do? You read this story, and if you go back and look, you'll see the Spirit has scattered the truth throughout the whole story. We hear brother, sister, brother, sister, brother, sister, over and over again, screaming at us the truth of what's really taking place. The voice of the Spirit candidly speaks tells us how deeply morally repugnant what is taking place in this chapter really is. Verses 8 and 9 show us how candidly Amnon is treating his sister as he watches her preparing cakes for him to devour. This is how he sees her. She's not a human being. She's something for him to devour. But Tamar, Tamar uses no euphemisms for Amnon's wicked hunger. Verse 12. She answers him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous act. She's not talking about eating bread from anyone's hand right now. She's talking about violation and an outrageous act. This is a word that is reserved in the Bible for only the absolute most repugnant sins. An utterly ungodless, godless act. The voice of the Spirit does not sugarcoat our sin or speak in euphemisms. The voice of the Spirit speaks candidly. But the voice of the Spirit also speaks convictingly. As Tamar is pleading with her brother in verse 13, she says, As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you from me. 
should Tamar have to stoop to this level of persuasion? It's painful to have to witness it. Think about me and all the consequences for me. Think, and if you won't care about me, think about yourself and your reputation and what this is going to do to you. It's pitiful to have to watch this woman plead with the man, reasoning with him, begging him, pleading for him to reconsider, even offering to marry him if he'll just leave her alone. How convicting when we look on and see the gruesome nature of our sin. Amnon thought no one could hear this woman he was overpowering. He sent all of his servants out. In his mind, this is happening behind closed doors, but here we have it. We know at least one person was listening. Amnon may not have heard her voice, but the Lord did. And God will deal with lawless men like Amnon, men who resist the voice of conviction. And finally, the voice of the Spirit cries. The moment that Amnon's hunger is satisfied, his feelings for her take a 180 turn. He hates her. He hates her for the guilt she feels. He hates her for all the tears she's shedding, for her pleading. And in her voice, we hear the grieving of the Spirit, verse 17. <clears throat> he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. What a picture. I wonder whether you think when you're in a moment of temptation, you give in to that sin, that this is how the Spirit of God feels inside of you. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Can you imagine that this is what comes over the spirit of the living God whenever you choose not to hear his voice. This kind of groaner, this kind of cries. wonder whether you are ever this torn up about your sin. If you've ever experienced this kind of sin or been sinned against in this way, I want to encourage you that God knows and the spirit is grieved because of it. So the question remains, are you and I doomed to repeat? I think the question could be posed in this way, which voice are you listening to? Because you'll have your answer then. Are you listening to the voice of the flesh, which is crafty, cowardly, commanding? Are you listening to the voice of the spirit, which speaks candidly, with conviction, crying out to you. Just like Amnon, how many of us have not listened to the voice of the Spirit in the moment of temptation before? We've hit our brother. We've lied. Stolen. Lusted. 
We've given in to all sorts of sins. We stayed in bed on Sunday morning. The question is, what is the solution whenever we grieve the Spirit like this? You could hate others for making you sin. That's how Amnon tries to deal with it. You know, that's the path he takes. Blame Tamar for the sin that he committed. You could try that. You could blame your parents. You could blame the country that you live in. You could blame your circumstances, your boss, your environment. For any host of sins, racism, sex addiction, adultery, theft, homosexuality, lying. But the problem is that as much as you may hate everyone else for your sin, it doesn't do anything about your sin. What's the solution? We've already heard it this morning from Galatians. You must put the voice of the flesh to death. The flesh must be crucified with Christ. Jesus came into this earth, and the violation that he experienced at the hands of his brothers was even worse than what we read this morning. Stripped naked, openly mocked, bled out before the world like a pig. His own people hated him. Why? Because when they looked at him, they were reminded of their own sin. They committed an outrageous act against Jesus Christ, ignoring the voice of the Spirit crying out from the prophets and the scriptures, don't do this. But the good news of the gospel is that this Jesus, the Son of God, came to experience our worst. And not to hate us, but to save us. Save us from ourselves. He hung on a cross so that we would be set free from the flesh, so that that flesh would be pinned there. Forever, and we wouldn't have to listen anymore. And then to come out of the grave and to give us the Spirit to speak from within so that when we listen, the Spirit would lead us away from sin and toward paths of righteousness. Are we doomed to repeat the sins of our fathers? Those who are of us who are belong to Jesus have become not followers of our forefathers, but followers of Jesus. And if we listen to his voice, we're not doomed to repeat. Instead of filling this world with sin and brokenness, we fill it with good and righteousness. The question is, can you hear his voice? And if you can, are you listening? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would soften our hearts to hear your spirit. Bring conviction where we need it. We pray that you'd help us to groan with the Spirit whenever we sin and to hate our sin and to long to please you. Lord, I thank you so much for the people of God who are there to support one another, to support me when we fall, to lift and restore one another. God, we pray that as brothers and sisters, we would treat one another with true love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.